Thank you, Kirk. Good morning, third service. My name is Paul Jeffries, if you don't know, and I'm in standing in for Luke today. A couple of months ago, a few were here, I gave a message where I talked about choosing which path to follow as disciples of Jesus. There was the pleasing God trail and the trusting trail. And uh, I talked about how in my early Christian experience, I kind of started down the pleasing God trail, but found it frustrating and confusing because all it ever provided was a bunch of conflicting advice on how I was supposed to live uh, in order to please God. And nobody could really tell me whether the things I was doing really were pleasing God or whether they weren't. So I said I kind of went back along the trail and uh, decided to take the trusting trail instead. And when I started down that trail, I said I met Jesus. Now, I already knew him, but I met him in a new way. And he was all excited that I chose this trail because, as he explained, you know, I can actually fulfill both of those things at once. You can't walk in two directions, but if I trusted him, I would also be pleasing him. So both things were accomplished. And all Jesus asks of me and of all of us, uh, his followers, is to walk down the trail with him and to listen to what he says, to trust him, and say yes. That was the essence of the message. And I talked about uh, various facets of what that meant, Look, springboarding out of Hebrews chapter 11, where we looked at some of the characters. These are some of the facets of our, of our walking with him and trusting him. We looked at Abel, where we have to trust even when it doesn't all work out. We looked at Enoch, where we have to trust even when it makes us unpopular. Noah, trusting when it doesn't make a lick of sense what God is asking us to do. He asks us to trust him anyway. I illustrated each point using an example from my own life, and I said something along the lines of, so Jesus turned to my 19-year-old self and says, or Jesus turned to my 23-year-old self and says, and I got an email the following week from somebody in the congregation who said, uh, how exactly did Jesus communicate what he said. How did he communicate? How did God let you know when you were 27 or 23 or 35 or whatever the age it was? How, how did he communicate? Which I thought was a great question. And I figured that person couldn't have been the only one who wanted to know the answer to that. So I thought I'd follow up my last message by talking today about how does God guide us? How does he communicate with us? So that's where we're going. But let's pray before we begin. Father, this is a subject that uh, is of interest to all of us, because if we have walked with you for any length of time at all, there are many, many times when we wonder, which way do we go? Am I hearing correctly? God, I need your input here to make this decision, what to do. And, and Father, sometimes we are left floundering. At least we feel like we're floundering. And so I pray as we look at the the ways that you communicate, that you will open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, so that we can hear better, because only in hearing are we able to trust and say yes. So we ask that you accomplish that amongst us this morning, for your name's sake. Amen. Guidance, something we all long for, or desire, isn't it? Uh, Because the act of living demands that we make thousands of decisions every day. Most of them are inconsequential and unimportant. They are. So, you know, should I get up now would be one of the first questions. You know, first decision of the day, do I hit the snooze or do I actually get up because the alarm went off? What socks am I going to put on? What shall I have for breakfast? Which lane do I choose in this slow-moving traffic? The answer is always the wrong lane, actually. (laughs) But we're making decisions from the moment we open our eyes. Insignificant, inconsequential. Some of them are monumental and far-reaching in their consequences. They can can actually have ongoing consequences for the, the rest of our lives, so they're important. Should I go to college? Do I marry this person? Do I take the drug I'm being offered right now? Should I cheat on my spouse? 
There's no way I'm too drunk to drive home. I'll be fine. We make decisions, and you can't go back and change some of the monumental decisions that you've made. And of course, there's everything in between those two extremes. A large portion of inconsequential, small number of really significant ones, and a whole ton in between. Where do we go for dinner? Do I take this job? How much should I give? Which car should I buy? Should I ask her out? Should I ask him out? Would moving right now really hurt the kids? We have, we have all these decisions that we have to make all the time. It's just part of being alive, all right? Living means making decisions. Um, so the question really is, on the whole spectrum of decision-making, at what point, where on that line do we involve God? Where do we need to start saying, God, I need your input here, all right? Because we don't ask him for everything, uh, which is a good thing, in actual fact, but where? where? And then how does he communicate when we're looking for that kind of uh, input? Now, before I kind of dig into that, there's just a couple of points I want to clarify. First is that we need to distinguish between uh, guidance and common sense, all right? Because you could take this to extremes in terms of the little details. If this is the spectrum, if you want to include God in all of it, well, then we're down here saying, okay, God, uh, should I get out of bed now? Which side of the bed should I get out? All right. Which foot should I put in my slipper first? I mean, you can be insane about making the... Because, you know, now the fact that God, um, and it's true, God is interested in every detail of our lives down to the number of hairs on our head. Those of us that aren't losing multiple rates, which some of us are. But he knows all those details. But the fact he has uh, that kind of level of interest doesn't mean he has uh, an express uh, opinion on all of the details. All right? God doesn't care what color shirt I put on this morning. I could have worn a blue one. I chose a black one. Uh, you see, this is the difference between guidance and common sense. If uh, I do not need to, to seek God's guidance as to whether I should put on a coat if it's below zero out. God, really, show me. Show me if I should put... No, no, that's just common sense, all right? He's given us a brain. He's given us a personality and a, and a will, and that comes with personal tastes and personal preferences, and he expects us to engage our brains and our personalities in making many of the decisions that comprise our daily lives, all right? I don't have to keep seeking his guidance about those kinds of things. Because although he, as I said, details, I don't think God gives two hoots what color shirt I put on this morning. All right? So, difference between guidance and common sense. And let me say, though, if there is something that's important to God that I think, well, that's just, you know, that's unimportant, inconsequential, like, you know, maybe I think it's just fine for me to spend all of my money down at the casino, you know, God is very capable, and I think that's just a small thing. He's very capable of being able to say, no, no, that's not a small thing because your resources are mine. I am the source of your resources, and so I want some say in where they're going and what you're doing with them. And so he can communicate with us if, we are, if we've gotten some of our wires crossed when we think something's unimportant when, in fact, uh, it is important. So that's the first thing. Secondly, so guidance and common sense. Secondly, we have to make a distinction, I believe, between God's will and God's plans. Now, we use the term God's will to cover both normally. Um, but when we're specifically looking for his will when it comes to what we should be doing, we're really talking about his plans. Now, God's will is revealed to us in Scripture, all right, black and white. It's his uh, specific will that we are transformed into the image of Christ. That's his will for us as his disciples, all right? Pure and simple. Well, pure is not that simple because it takes a lifetime uh, of ongoing connection with God for that process to take place. The word is sanctification. We are changed into his likeness, all right? Not outwardly because we'd all morph into looking like the same person. This is an inward thing. It's about the character of Christ. God doesn't care what I look like on the outside, tall, short, or anything else. He wants 
the character of Christ to be manifest within us. That's what he wants, uh, how the transformation is going to take place, so that his life and light is shining through the tent that makes up, you know, who you know me as. So that's his will, direct, specific, spelled out in Scripture for all of us. His plans for us, on the other hand, are not. You cannot turn to chapter and verse and look up things that, you know, it doesn't say, thus says the Lord, you shall be a computer programmer, you shall live at number 47 and marry Samantha, amen. <laughs> it's not going to happen, all right? You can't look that kind of stuff up. Those are, those are our plans, the decisions that we make. Um, so how do we make those decisions? Scripture has a phenomenal amount to say about the kind of people we are becoming, he wants us to become. It has next to nothing to say about the path we take while we become it. So it's the path, the journey, the choices that you know, make up you know, our life while he is fulfilling his will and transforming us into the likeness of Christ. So this is where we need the guidance. This is where it all kind of hones down on this path. And as I said, lots of them are unimportant, inconsequential, but some of them are critical. And so that's where we need guidance. Uh, we say we want to know what his will is, but really we're saying, what's your plan? Do I take this job? Do I go to college? Is, is this the person I'm supposed to marry? I mean, these are the big ones. You know. Do I move away from home? Uh, do we move back to take care of parents? Uh, you know, there are lots of decisions that are life-altering where we really want to know, okay, God, you know, do you have, do you have any say on this? What, uh, what kind of directives can you give us? Now, you might think I'm splitting hairs when I talk about you know, God's will and God's plans, but I think it's a, a distinction that's worth making. So with those two clarifications, common sense, the difference between will and plans, let's dig into how does God guide us. And uh, you'll be pleased to hear there is a short answer and there is a long answer. You are going to get both because the short answer doesn't really tell you much, but the, the long answer explains the short answer. That's, that's how it works, all right? And uh, <clears throat> the short answer is God guides us by communicating to us through the Holy Spirit. That's it in a nutshell. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes the things of God and communicates to us what he wants us to do and how he wants us to live. The question, of course, is how? How does he do that? And that's the long answer, right? Because we could just say, okay, you can go home now. We got, I just answered the question. He communicates through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but that doesn't really help. So how does he go about that? But we need to settle it. We need to nail it down, fix it in our hearts and minds. All guidance comes through the Holy Spirit because we don't have the ability to hear anything from God without his spirit within us. He is the one that, uh, that leads us. John, John 16, Jesus himself said this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He's the guide, all right? And then 1 Corinthians 2, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared, there's our plans, God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. So the plans, the, the, the things that he had, God has for us, they're communicated through the spirit. And we see that in the New Testament. I see that worked out. In Acts chapter 13, we see while they were worshiping the Lord and, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Right? It was the Holy Spirit communicated. Acts 16, when they came opposite Mysia and they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, my first question when I read things like that is, well, okay, how did that happen? How did they communicate? How did the Holy Spirit say, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas? How did the Spirit of Jesus prevent them from going somewhere? Well, I'm just uh, going to be disappointed on these two because it doesn't tell us. We don't know. 
But we do have lots of other instances in Scripture where God guides people. And so it's not like, you know, just in those two instances, uh, we're left hanging. We don't know. But it's the Spirit that is given credit for the guidance, which is really my main point. So how did God communicate? How does God communicate? I wanted to look at the five primary ways that I believe that he does that. And they're not in any particular order, so it's not like one, two, three, four, five. Just think of them as A, B, C, D, E, you know, F. Is that five? Um, Because there's just different ways that God does it, and it's not that one is more important than the other. He just communicates uh, in a variety of ways. And the first one, then, is the Holy Spirit can guide us through others. Through others. It seems so simple, but, you know, it's easy to ignore. There's a wonderful story in Exodus 18 where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to visit his daughter, Zipporah. And uh, they've come out of Egypt, they've come through the Red Sea, and they are, they're now at camp. And Dad shows up for Labor Day weekend, or no, Memorial Day weekend, get it right. And, and so there's, you know, Zipporah's really happy, and they sit down for dinner. Uh, and then the next morning, Moses gets up, and wolfs down some breakfast, and heads off to the kind of makeshift people's court that he holds. And he's gone all day, and he comes back at dinner time. And over dinner, Jethro turns to him and says, So Moses, what is it that you're doing for the people from morning until night? And Moses says, Well, the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute or a quarrel or a fight, they bring it to me, and I decide between them what they should do, and I inform them of God's decrees and laws. So Jethro, I can imagine, so some of this I'm just kind of embellishing a little bit. I can imagine Jethro's just there shaking his head, and he's like, Moses is like, what? You know, what's the problem? He said, Moses, this is going to kill you. You can't do that for millions of people, for the number of people here. It's just not, it's, it's unmanageable. And Moses is going to be like, well, tell me something I don't know, you know, because it is, this is it's awful. So Jethro says, let me give you some advice. There is no question that God has called you to lead these people, Moses, but, and you are his representative. But for goodness sake, stop trying to do it on your own. Pick some capable men, men you trust, who fear God, who are honest and truthful, and appoint them to help you. Set up structures. Set some over thousands, and some over hundreds, and some over tens, and, uh, and then let them serve as judges so you only get the difficult cases which uh, they need help with. And I can imagine Moses sitting there kind of wide-eyed going, duh, I can't believe I didn't think it. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And so the very next day he goes out and that's precisely what he does. All right? Seeking advice from people that we respect, people who have walked with God longer than we have, can never do us any harm and it might do us a phenomenal amount of good because they can have some clarity and some insight from years of experience, years of walking with God that we may not have. They may see things that we don't see. Now remember, Moses, he'd worked for Jethro for 40 years before his burning bush experience. They had a history. And so he was in a position, because Moses really, he didn't, you know, cheated a bit here. He didn't ask Jethro for advice. Jethro just offered it. But it was good advice, and he took it and did something with it. We need Jethro's in our life. We need people that we can turn to and say, I have a decision to make. You know, and it's not about the color of my socks. It's about something that is changing my life here. Maybe moving, job opportunities, something to do with raising the kids. What do we do here? And I need some input. I need some counsel. We need those kinds of people. In Proverbs, it says in 12, chapter 12, verse 15, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. So we want to be wise. We want to listen to the advice. Something which I have intentionally done throughout my life. From the time I left school, in fact, I went to speak to a godly man in the little church, little village church. Uh, I had three job opportunities, and I'm like, I have no idea what job I should take. And so he he gave me some input, and, gave me some, you know, and we talked it through. When, uh, when I didn't know what to do next after my year at a short-term Bible school, um, I spoke to somebody and said, I don't know what to do. I would, I need, I'm looking for some input. When a pastor confronted me and told me that uh, I should not be preaching because God had not gifted me and that anybody who ever told me I could speak uh, had lied and that I should stop now, 
I went to speak to somebody because I'm like, am I, have I deluded myself? I don't want to be wasting a congregation's time, my time, or anything else. So I went to speak to somebody and say, I, I, need, to, I need to get this sorted out. This is huge. When we decided to explore the possibility of moving back to the U.S., went to speak to a pastor and his wife, and so on. It's something which I've sought to do because I want input from somebody else who I respect and who I, I see as, as a godly leader because I don't have all the answers myself. Now, getting advice, seeking some input, doesn't mean you have to follow it, for one thing, and it certainly doesn't mean that you ask them to make the decision for you because they shouldn't. Otherwise, because if it, goes, if it goes bad, you're going to blame them for what you did. You told me to do this. It's your fault that I'm now struggling. So no, no, you can't do that. If you're going to go listen to advice, you are the one who has to make the decision. Whether you listen to the advice or not, own it. You're making the decision. But speaking with somebody, seeking their counsel, in doing that, we give the Holy Spirit opportunity to speak to us, to communicate, to push us in a particular direction to give us a sense of freedom, a release, or a sense of check. And, oh, no, I hadn't thought of that. That's what we're doing. So that's the first way the Holy Spirit uh, can communicate with us and guide us. Second way, the Holy Spirit can guide us through circumstances, all right, just the general circumstances of life. Now, interpreting circumstances can be tricky because a lot of times when you seek to go the way God, you feel God is calling you to go, you might meet opposition. And if you just take that as well, obviously I made a mistake because this seems harder than it should be, so maybe I'll just back off. All right? If you just go on circumstances alone, you have to be careful in how you read them. If I'd been led purely by circumstances, I would never have considered going to Bible college because I had no money, I had no job, I had no prospect of financial aid, and I had no idea where to go. So there was lots of strikes against me. But that was what I believed God wanted me to do. Um, the fact that the Spirit can guide us through circumstances doesn't mean it's all going to be plain sailing. So we have to, you know, you balance this by going to speak to somebody as well. You know, you could, these, these different ways that God guides us can work in harmony together and should do so. There's a there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 16.9 where Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, I am going to stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened up. That's circumstantial, right? The circumstances that Paul found himself in meant that uh, I'm going to write to you and say, I'm staying longer. This, this wonderful opportunity has opened up and I believe this is what God wants me to do. That's working through circumstances. It doesn't always mean that that's a, how it's going to be that obvious. When I was thinking that this is what God wanted me to do in terms of go um, get an education, I, uh, that was a result of speaking to somebody. I'd gone to this short-term Bible school, and after the, we got to, towards the end of the year, I spoke to a godly old man, a retired pastor, and, he said, and I felt, I think God wants me in Christian ministry. I had no idea what but something to do with Christian ministry. He said, well, you need an education. And I'm like, thank you very much. I'm leaving now. Um, because I wasn't interested in further education. I was a straight C student through school, and uh, I liked school. It was fun, but academics wasn't my thing. So I decided to ignore his device, advice. Well, um, during the next year, God just very gently walked me around 180 degrees. So I got to the end of the year. I worked at the Bible college having attended for a year, and I knew he was right, because if God's going to put me in any kind of ministry, I guess I should know what I'm talking about a little bit, so maybe I should go get an education. Um, but my circumstances hadn't changed. I still had no job and no money, and I had no idea where I should be going. But what, during that year, I'd met my late wife, Carol, and so I put all of those things on hold. I think I figure God will sort that out when I get back. And I came to visit her in the U.S. I'd saved enough money from the, you know, the little bit they paid me to work on staff. So I bought a ticket and came out for a month and uh, planning to go back and have God sort all of these really interesting unknowns out for me. Well, when I came out, <coughs> um, 
Several things happened. In fact, changed my whole world, that one trip. Because partway through, we went to speak to Sir Stuart Briscoe, who was Carol's pastor at Elmbrook, and talked about the, the problems. We, we thought we were going to talk about the problems of long-distance relationships, me in England, her over here. We never even got onto it. We spoke about where I was going to be training and uh, should it be over here or should it be in the U.S. or the U.K.? And I guess I really hadn't considered the U.S. He said, well, maybe you should. Because the short-term Bible school that I attended in England knocked a year off a course at Columbia Bible College in South Carolina. Maybe you should explore that. So we're like, well, okay. So we left and we started to explore. And uh, then we thought, well, why not just bring the wedding forward three years uh, four years, rather than wait till it's over and get married, let's do it up front, which creates problems of its own. Because Elmbrook Church, at the time, you had to book up two years in advance for a wedding. They had four weddings on a Saturday. I don't know how many on a Friday. You couldn't get in, but there was this date six weeks out that was available. Stuart Briscoe was booked up three years in advance for all his travels and everything else. He just had, and he's the only pastor I knew on the 11 pastor staff. He was available for that date six weeks out. The only place that Carol wanted to have her reception if she ever got married was the Red Circle Inn. That was free on that one date, six weeks out. So we started then, and then God just pulled all the stops out and all the lights went green, because as we began to explore, it, it was unstoppable. This, the circumstances were unbelievable. Uh, if we're going to South Carolina, we, you know, Carol would need a job. Well, she had spoken, she worked, she sold insurance, She'd spoken at some insurance thing, and, and we contacted the office in South Carolina and sat sight unseen, the guy offered her a job. Knowing we'd be coming down there, he, uh, he didn't just find us an apartment, he bought a trailer park, and he pulled a trailer onto it for us to live in when we got there. Who does that? <laughs> and, and then I didn't have a best man, so I'm like, well, I'll just, won't, I'll just get married, we won't have a best man. But I knew that the uh, principal of the Bible college I'd been at in England, the short-term one, he was coming over to travel around for 10 weeks that summer. So I called him and said, any chance you'll be in Wisconsin at that time? And he's like, no, sorry, you know, this is, I'm, I'm Texas or something. I'm like, okay, I, I won't have a best man. And he knew Stuart because Stuart worked at this Bible college for several years. And so him, he and Billy knew each other. Two weeks before the wedding, Billy called and said, hey, guess what? The church that had been booked me up three years ago, they just canceled. I'm free, I'm coming. And I had a best man at my wedding, which was a mixed blessing because he and Stuart just goofed around the entire rehearsal. And uh, <coughs> I thought this is going to be a nightmare tomorrow, but they behaved themselves at the wedding. And we saw more circumstantial uh, guidance through that time than we had ever seen before or since. And in fact, the only other time we saw such clear guidance was when God moved us back here to the US 20 years later, overriding the FBI and Scotland Yard and all kinds of different things. So, but it was uh, not that I have a record, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but they have to do checks and it takes a certain amount of time. It's another story. <laughs> that sounded bad, didn't it? But, uh, but God can use circumstances to push us in different directions. I had no intention when I came over of staying. I had no intention of getting married. I had no intention of going and attending college in this country. And in the space of a few short weeks, all of that changed. And the marriage was what provided the finances because Carol worked. And the boss that she knew provided us a home. And I then got a green card and I could work and I worked my way through school there. Just Unbelievable circumstantial guidance. So two, those are the first two, guidance through others and guidance through circumstances. In his heart, a man plans his course, it says in Proverbs 16, but the Lord determines his steps. So I had made some plans I thought I'd heard correctly, finally agreed with the guy I'd gotten advice from, but how God worked that out, I could never, I got, in a million years, I couldn't have figured out you know, how that was going to happen. But God had it all planned. Third way the Holy Spirit guides us is through internal promptings, internal conviction. Now, we have heard Luke talk about that quite a lot in the last few weeks. In fact, he talks about it fairly regularly, how he felt impressed to go over and pray for somebody or go to speak to somebody. Uh, and, you know, and God uses that. You know, there's, a, there's a divine appointment of some kind or other. Uh, and uh, an internal prompting is precisely what it sounds like. All right? It is uh, an inner sense, an internal impression 
sometimes a very strong one, that we should do something, that we should say something, or maybe not do something, or not say something. But it's this, this, this strong sense uh, inside. And it comes seemingly from out of nowhere, all right? It's like something pops into your head. Now, rather than assuming that that's just random synapses popping in your brain, like, well, what's going on here? Maybe we should start thinking, you know, is, is that the still small voice of God's spirit, you know, prompting me to do something that, you know, I wasn't thinking about anything, and suddenly this thing comes along? Do I need to respond to that? Of course, the question then is, how do I know if it's God's voice and not just some voice in my head making things up? Don't people use, uh, you know, don't they do off the wall and sometimes harmful, harmful things claiming that, well, God told me to do it? Well, yes, they do. There are people like that. So if we're going to act on some inner impression, some inner impulse, it would be really helpful if we had some means to uh, assess where that is coming from, some filter to run it through to see is this of God or is it not of God. And by an amazing lucky coincidence, we do. Of course, there's nothing lucky about it at all. I mean, this is, that was facetious. Um, <laughs> Our filter, our means of assessing this prompting that suddenly popped into our head is the Word of God itself, all right? Because, you see, God never contradicts himself. So if I feel impressed to do something that contradicts his Word, then it's not coming from him, all right? Uh, if I feel prompted, if I'm in a store and I feel prompted to stuff that new iPhone into my pocket and walk out. Yeah, well, that prompting's not from him because he's you know, very explicit about not stealing. So that's contrary to what his word teaches. So uh, no, that prompting is not from him. But <clears throat> um, very, he may well prompt me to call you or talk to you or ask you how you're doing or pray for you or to, to offer to help out in some way because... Well, that does, that does two things. A, it's in line with his word, so it lines up. But it also, it doesn't break the love rule, all right? Because the rule in Scripture is what? You know, to love others as I love myself. So the Holy Spirit isn't going to prompt me to do something that breaks that rule any more than it is to break any God's commands. So I'm never going to feel prompted to punch you in the face, for instance, all right? <laughs> Just give it to him. Just knock his lights out. No. That, uh, I may have that thought... But that is not a prompting of the Spirit, all right? That's just my, you know, human nature reaction. So if it doesn't break the God's, if it doesn't contradict God's Word, and it doesn't break the rule of love, well then, maybe I need to hear this as something which God is asking me to do. I was preparing a sermon one time at the last church I was in in England, and I felt a sudden prompting to call uh, a woman who was a member of the congregation. Now, most of us, when we're doing something, we don't like to be interrupted. You know, because we, we, you know, we like to finish what we start. Well, at least most guys do. I don't know. I can't really speak for the ladies. But, you know, if I'm working on this or the car or whatever it is, I don't, I, you know, go away. I don't, don't interrupt me. Um, and if, I've, you know, if I'm in a mindset and I'm preparing a message, I don't want to have to stop, break my train of thought, make a phone call. But this woman just it popped into my call, so-and-so. And, uh, and it didn't go away. So, okay, you know, we're, why are we so reluctant to listen to these things? So I picked up the phone, and I called, and she answered in tears. And she was on the verge of walking out on her husband, and I can't remember the reasons or anything else, and I had to talk her off the ledge. That was just one instance. There was another time, we got one of the houses we lived in in the UK had a very narrow driveway, kind of like the aisle here, you know, one car wide, and it was about 100 feet long, and then you crossed over the sidewalk and out onto the road. And there was a five-foot hedge on each side, so you couldn't see anything that was out. You just, and we were only going 10, 15 miles an hour, we lived over here to come around and up this. And only on one occasion, as I'm driving out, about to get, get to the sidewalk, and I felt prompted, I just heard this, this very loud inner voice say, stop! So I stomped on the brake. And as I did so, a little kid on a tricycle rolled right across the sidewalk. Now, had I not responded to that prompting, I'd be standing here today still living with the guilt of having killed another human being because I would have run him over, all right? Now, those are two somewhat more extreme examples. But most of the time, the promptings are really easy to ignore, all right? Because it's not this, God doesn't hold up a megaphone and say, do this. 
It's just this, go over, go over and put your arm around them. Go give them a hug. Go ask if they're okay. Go and see if you can just pray for them, you know. And you're like, why don't we do it? Because we're just embarrassed most of the time. Well, if they say no, I'm going to look like an idiot. I don't want to come across as, as a total fruitcake who just goes up to random people and offers to do things. And so we err on the side of caution, and we don't respond. But I think we are missing out on listening to the guidance of the Spirit through a prompting to do something that isn't contradicting His Word and that is in line with the love rule. And other people are missing out because we're not saying yes to doing those things. What's the worst thing that can happen? Worst thing that can happen is we walk away because somebody says, no, thank you. Oh, maybe they look at us weird. Maybe they do think we're a fruitcake. It doesn't really matter. You know, I would rather err on the side of I responded to this, and the more we do it, the easier it gets. I responded to this, and they said yes or they said no, but I gave God the opportunity to minister in some way through me, through some very normal, easy, small means. It doesn't have to be something grandiose. Why wouldn't I want to do that? Why wouldn't I want to give him the opportunity to do that? And who knows, God can use those little interactions to change our lives as well as the lives of others. I've known people who've gone to the mission field because they felt prompted to speak to a missionary who had spoken in church that day and were meeting people out in the foyer. You know, as always is the case, they're out there if you want to chat to them. And they went, felt prompted to go chat. And that's what God uses to bring them to the mission field. So you have no idea what God will do with some of those promptings in your life. And this is... uh, is something we see in the life of Jesus as well. He was constantly interrupting whatever he was doing and responding to the promptings of the Spirit as he went about journeying, fulfilling his Father's will. He was responding to somebody on the side of the road saying, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of... And people, shut up. Leave the Master alone. Son of David. And so Jesus stops. He interrupts. Prompted by the Spirit, and he goes over. And somebody is healed as a result of that. He goes through Samaria. Nobody goes through Samaria. Jews didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria because they didn't want to contaminate themselves. And Jesus said, we have to go through Samaria. And, you know, is that a prompting from the Spirit? Again, we're not told, but the natural course would have been gone around it. He went through Samaria because God had a divine appointment at a well with a woman that they needed to link up. And so he went. Did Jesus know that that woman would be there? I don't know. Maybe he was just responding to the Father's prompting, do this, go this way. And he said yes, because he always said yes. In fact, he says in John 5, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He was constantly being directed by the Spirit, promptings. When he's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, somebody touches the hem of his garden. This irritated the disciples at times. Master, why are you stopping? You know, it's urgent. We have to get to this. You know, somebody touched me. You're in a a crowd. Of course somebody touched you. No, no, no. And so he pauses because there's a woman who needs to know it wasn't his garment that healed her. It was her faith that healed her. And so he stops and prompting of the Spirit gets to identify and speak to this woman who'd been in misery for 12 years. And then he goes on. Guidance through inner promptings. A fourth way the Holy Spirit guides us is supernaturally. It says in Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 1. <laughs> yeah. I've forgotten what the picture was for that. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Now, we know that God is a supernatural God, and you know, we've read you know, through the Scriptures, and we know some of the stories about how He spoke in the past at various times, uh, many times, and in various ways. But it still kind of gives us a bit of a shock when God does something supernaturally in our, in our lives today. Um, how did He speak in the past? Well, if you read the Word, there's, uh, there was a disembodied hand that wrote on the wall at one point. 
there was a donkey that spoke that wasn't in Shrek. It was on, it was completely, uh, it was on its own. There were pictures and audible voices and dreams and visions and burning bushes and, and angels and prophecies and miraculous signs. All just, we have a supernatural God and he can uh, guide and direct through supernatural means. In today's world, with our unshakable dependence on scientific laws and, and an explanation for everything, we tend to think we've outgrown most of this. But God doesn't change, all right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's perfectly uh, capable and does work miraculously, um, just as he always did. It's just here in the West, we don't see it so much. Um, our supernatural God, um, we, are, we are so self-reliant here that we don't even look to the supernatural. We don't need to trust God as if our lives depend on it because most of the time, they don't. You know, we fix our problems at Walmart and Office Max and Tim's Auto Parts. Most of the rest of the world doesn't have that handicap. All right? They have to trust God because their life does depend on it. There is nowhere else to go. I met a missionary in college called Cash Godbolt who ministered to the uh, nomadic tribe, the Tuareg tribe that around the uh, edges of the Sahara. He'd been there 25 years when I heard him speak, and uh, he was 19 years there before the first of the Tuaregs gave their, their life to Christ. But that was his calling, that was his mission. And he told of a time when he was crossing the Sahara not across the middle, you, never, you wouldn't cross the middle. You know the Sahara is the size of the U.S., yes? This is, a, this is an enormous desert. So he's crossing up across part of it, and the, one of the tires on his Jeep gets a flat. And they, for whatever reason, they have no spare. And so they do the only thing they can do, him and his you know, companion riding with him, because you never go alone if you're going to do that. They pray, and they say, you know, I don't know what they said. But he said, while they prayed, they felt the vehicle move. And after they got done praying, they got out, and the tire had reinflated, and they were able to carry on. Now, he has no reason to make up a story like that. This is somebody who's given his life to ministering in this just desolate place. So I'm like, why has God never done that for me? Well, I have AAA, all right? <laughs> I don't need him to do that for me, all right? There's our problem. You see, I don't need that kind of dependence, so I miss out on seeing, now, do I miss out? Yeah, but is it, is it harsher? You know, in terms of, I really have to trust God for this miracle here, for the medicine to show up on time, for this child not to die, for whatever it may be. Now, I ha now it's, it's all or nothing, all right? Puts your faith in a different perspective altogether. Now, I have never had a vision or a supernatural dream or heard an audible voice but just a few times in my life, I've been on the receiving end of supernatural guidance. One of the times I was driving uh, to take part in a tent crusade. Um, it was just a, you know, an evangelistic crusade. And I had to drive through Leeds, a city in, uh, in England. And it's just this mess of one-way systems. And coming up to the city, and it's night. I had to work during the day, and I'm driving up there. And I'm like, God... I have no idea how to get through this. I'm on a motorbike, so I can't just, and there's no you know, sat-nav or anything else. Um, and so I, uh, I prayed. I said, God, I'm going to look for somebody to ask for directions. But until I find somebody, I'm gonna, you're going to have to direct me. So every junction, every roundabout, every, you know, which way do I go? There's six exits off this roundabout. Okay, I feel like this is the one. And then one way, okay, I'll go this way. And I'm all the time looking for somebody. And half an hour or so later, I find the first person I can ask, and I'm pretty much through the city. And the person, I so I stop, and I say, I'm looking for this town. And they say, yeah, just continue on right down this road. You'll run into it. All right? That's just, there's, there's a miracle for you right there, because I had to make, I don't know how many decisions of which way to go, through one-way systems and roundabouts and lefts and rights. But God had me on the very road, and if I didn't find anybody, I would have run into the place that I was going. The truth is, of course, all of God's communications really are supernatural, whether it's through others or circumstances or promptings, because he's a supernatural God. But we have to allow room for the miraculous, because that's the kind of God he is. Finally, the fifth and final way that uh, the Holy Spirit guides us is through his word. 
through the scriptures. Having said the Bible reveals God's will for us, not his plan, that doesn't stop God from speaking and guiding us through it, sometimes in extraordinary ways. When I was uh, contemplating giving up my uh, secure government job and going off to this short-term Bible school that I did attend eventually, I was challenged by a pastor. He said, how do you know? And I'm like, well, I just feel like I really want to do it. He says, well, that's not very good, is it? How, you know, you know that's, that's not really much of an answer. I said, I wanted to go a year ago, and I didn't have the money. He said, that's still not an answer. How do you know that God wants you to do this? Because if he doesn't, you're wasting your time. You're wasting God's time. Maybe he wants you to be doing something else. And he had a point. So I said, okay, I, I need to find out, because I don't want to waste my time and money going somewhere he doesn't want me to be. This is a guidance issue. So <clears throat> I, uh, I don't remember the time frame, but about a week or so later, I, I, start, I was reading through scriptures just as part of my daily reading. You know, I wasn't opening it up and waiting for something to pop out at me. I'm just reading, and I happened to be in 2 Corinthians. And I got to chapter 8, and I read these words. It said, and in this matter I give my advice. Those are right there in chapter 8. And in this matter I give my advice. It is best for you now to complete what a year ago you began not only to do, but to desire, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. <laughs> I about fell out of my proverbial chair of that, and I had my answer. And I went back and I said, God has shown me that this is what he wants me to do. And so I went. And uh, now that has only happened uh, maybe half a dozen times in my life. This doesn't mean we treat God's word like some kind of magic eight ball, all right? We don't shake it up, open it, and dip a finger in and say, okay, there, there it is. No, no, that's just treating it like a fortune cookie. It's as we read through God's word, he can take something that was written to somebody thousands of years ago in different circumstances about something else entirely, and he can make it live and speak to the circumstances and decisions that we have to make in the here and now. Because he can do that. It's his word. And he tells us in uh, Hebrews 4, his word, the word of God is living. It's, it's not something dead written for just the, No, it's living and it's active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joint and marrow. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's the spirit can take the thoughts and intentions of God's heart and place them in mine. All right? That's what he can do through his word. And he can speak to us just as easily from the Old Testament as he can from the New. We aren't dipping into it just for guidance. We're, getting, we're reading it so that we know whether we are breaking his commands when we feel prompted, or whether they're lining up with the rule of love, and so on. We're reading it ultimately to get to know the author. That's the purpose. So these are the five ways, five primary ways, I believe, that God, through his Spirit, communicates to us, guides us, uh, leads us. And uh, he wants to do that as well, all right? His promise is that he will guide us. Psalm 32, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. But, and there is a but here, for that promise to be fulfilled, we must first want him to instruct and teach us in the way we should go. Because a lot of times, I think, we don't. Many of us, you know, we per we're perfectly content, or so we think, to be masters of our fate, all right? Captains of our soul, making our own way in the world. That's how we like to think. Until things go wrong, of course, which they inevitably do, because since when have we had a clue about the direction our lives really should go in if we're not trusting in him? No, unless we first say with the psalmist, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. That's the psalmist's cry. Then we're not going to be looking for God to do those things. Input that he'd love to provide because he really does have plans and purposes for us. He really does. You know, you're familiar with that famous passage in Jeremiah 29. I know the plans I have for you. Plans. They're not his will. This is his plans. All right? I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And in Ephesians 2, we're told that we are God's workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared, God prepared beforehand for us to walk in. He's got stuff that he wants me to do, stuff he wants you to do, things he wants me to say, people he wants me to bump into and respond to and interact with, that he's planned all that since the beginning, which brings me full circle back to the path and saying, I just need to learn to listen and then trust him and say yes. Because that's the beginning and end of guidance, listening, trusting, and saying yes. That is what it means as we speak to others and as we look at circumstances and inner promptings and the miraculous signs and looking to his word. And he will use a whole mix of those normally to, to communicate and guide, provided we are listening and our hearts are prepared to trust and say yes. Let's pray. Lord, we are swimming through a world that is dominated by fear. Fear of how we are perceived. Fear of upsetting others. Fear of saying the wrong thing. Fear of rejection. Fear that our country might be going to the dogs. Fear that this, some other country might be attacking. Fear that uh, everything's at risk. Fear of disease. The, whole, the fuel of society seems to be driven by fear. And we know that fear does not come from you. There is only one other source. And so as your people, I pray that we would not allow the, the course of our lives to be determined by the fears that are thrust upon us, but rather that we would be led by your voice, by your guidance, through others, through our circumstances, through the inner promptings and through miraculous signs and through your word, that we would learn to hear and trust and say yes and live free from those fears because we know the end. Why are we afraid if we know the end of the story? God, thank you that, that your spirit within us, you specifically tell us you didn't give us a spirit of fear but of, of love and peace and a sound mind. Help us to lean into that. Help us to do it today, tomorrow, this week, as your will is accomplished and our lives are uh, transformed and your purposes are accomplished as the plans you have for us, the good works you prepared beforehand unfold and we walk with you in accomplishing them. Help us to do that, I pray, for your namesake. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful long weekend. Hope you get to enjoy family and friends and the weather. And uh, I'm back here next week, so see you next week. Oh, thank you. Forgot every service. If you have something you'd like to uh, uh, for prayer for, doesn't have to be about guidance. If there's anything at all you'd like someone to pray for you, we have uh, Steve and Diane over here. Just feel free to come up and they will pray with you.